Sports Station. 1043 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Kyle Reese. I have someone who needs me. Someone I've needed so long. For once unafraid, I can go where life leads me. Somehow I know I'll be strong. Good morning and happy Sunday. Matt Smith and Kyle Reese on your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. What's up, Kyle? How are you? I'm doing great, buddy. How you doing? I'm really good. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you as always. It's always one of the best parts of my week. Stop that. Yeah, I mean Stop it. Stop buttering I me mean up. it. I know I am. I am. I'm just trying to curry favor with you. Yeah, I'm a little paranoid because I did a show with CJ the other day. Yeah, how did that go? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But he did a similar thing in which he, you know, told me it was nice to see me. And then yeah. proceeded to tell me how wrong everything I said exactly. was for the last three years. But you yeah. know what? I got to set you up to knock you down. Hey, I can't just I can't just shove you over can't right love away. Me too hard. Don't love me too hard. Yeah, that's all. Okay. That's the only thing. I hear you. That's the only thing. Appreciate that. How's your week? My week was great. Yeah. What'd you get into this week? Well, um, lots of football, man. Uh, we had a youth camp last night. That was awesome. Oh, very nice. Yeah, we got a chance to see some old uh, alumni out, and it's cool, man, to see uh, guys that played at the next level come back and see little little kids and sure and, and that kind of stuff. So it was cool. Had a good week, man. How about so? Oh, just grinding. Grinding. I was here for a couple of days. I did the drive on Friday, and I did uh, I did uh, Zach and Stoke on Thursday with James. Okay. And James and I actually got into some really interesting conversations that I want to bring up and rehash with you because I think these th- these are discussions worth having as we make our way towards training camp. It's like thirty three days away or something like that. Who's counting? Exactly. <laughs> Me. I'm counting. Because this this only baseball stuff is for the birds. I don't know if you caught what happened at Coors Field last night, but baseball season around here is done. We can be done with baseball. In fact, I don't need to hear about the Colorado Rockies one more time. Yeah, the home run derby was that. Yeah, it was a home run derby. It was a schlacking like you've never seen. I mean, what was it, 25 to 1, the Rockies? 13 run inning. Yeah. Well, how about the fact that it was, you know, what is that? 21 runs in the third and the fourth inning combined. The Rockies gave up to the Angels. I think it's the second most in a two-inning span in MLB history. Is it safe to say, like, 21 runs is a lot in three games? Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. You could even extend it to four or five, being honest with you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 25 to one. And again, the Rockies are going to lose. We know that they're going to lose. This team's barreling towards 100 losses once again. But to lose in that fashion, is it worse or does it really matter? Um, I can't decide. Quite honestly, I really can't decide because it's either it is either way worse or it's just the same because it's exactly what we expected. Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) I'll just say that because because there's a lot of things that come to mind. Right. How much do they care? Right, the, mm. that 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 is a question, and and I never who who who's they, everybody involved, right? Because I, I is it the fans, is, is it, it ownership, fans, or is it the players, players? The ownership, you know, I I think the ownership is is pretty obvious where they stand on things, and from a business standpoint, and they have the right to run their business however they want. By the way, mm. um, but the players, there's there's a certain amount of pride that's that's got to be uh, 
that that's got to come from inside. And twenty five to one was that the final score? Twenty six to one. Twenty five to one. Twenty five to one. Get it right, please. Sorry. Yeah. 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 What's what's put some run? respect what's on the Los Angeles Angels franchise record for runs scored in a game and hits in a game? By the way, they were twenty eight of fifty two at the plate. At one point, starter Chase Anderson gave up three home runs on three consecutive pitches. We're getting to like Detroit Tiger status. Did you see the video that Zach posted? The broadcast couldn't even come back from break fast enough. Before the next one was in the air. It was unbelievable. You know who the last person to do that was? The last person to give up three home runs on three straight pitches before Chase Anderson last night? Who was that? Chase Anderson in 2020. This guy, it's happened to him twice. I mean, come on. Did LeMayhew hit one of those runs? Yeah, he did. He did. It was LeMayhew. It was Gardner, LeMayhew, and Luke Voigt in 2020 when the Blue Jays played the Yankees. But, but look, I, I don't know what else to say about this team. This is what I expect from the Rockies. When you have ownership that treats it the way they do, and you have 45, uh, 45,000 people that still show up to the ballpark every night, which is happening now that the weather's turned. I mean, they're full ballpark. Yeah. What's the incentive that they have right now to make things different? I saw Will Peterson. The Modfords, you know, they need to sell now. Look, Will, I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> We've been banging the table on our show for them to sell us. They don't have to. Of course not. They don't have to. Of course not. They can run it how they want to, and they can run it into the ground if they want to. So does this matter? It's not going into the ground if you don't start voting with your pocketbook if you keep going down there. I don't know how else you do it. That's the only way. Isn't that pretty crazy? It is pretty crazy, especially when we're talking about a town that's now celebrated two straight championships. Mm. You, you would think that that would raise the level or motivate and say, you know, and kind of rally people together because that stuff should be, um, it should permeate, right? And it just, just hasn't. You know, normally you want to be talked about because you're relevant. But to be relevant in this way, that's something else. How bad is this thing going to get? What, what I don't know, and I don't really care. If I'm being honest with you, I, I, I don't. I don't dial into these guys every day because it doesn't matter. I, I'm tr- I treat it the way that they treat it, right? They can spend 160 million dollars, but they do it in all the wrong ways. They're not doing this for the right reasons, and I think more than anything, I'm just sad for baseball fans, like real baseball fans. Again, I, I've said on the record many times, I'm not a Rockies guy, never have been, never will be. But for baseball fans, I feel really bad because that sucks. I mean, you, you want you want to take your kids out to have fun at the game. It's like, wow, it's an exciting game. But at the same time, you're getting 25 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, in a shortened game with the pitch clock, I'm just 25 to 1. There was there, there was a, a huge appetite in this town for baseball. I remember it was the Zephyrs, right? Uh, you weren't around. I shouldn't say right to you. But it was the Zephyrs. And then when the Rockies got to town, we're talking about 30 years ago, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the Blake Street Bombers, and, and there was a huge energy. Um, and although they had different levels of success, there was still something that to, to galvanize around. And now this town has shown you that they will get behind you yeah. and rally, and they want to see good sports, and will become an educated fan base. It was 20. got to give them something to latch on to. It was 23 nothing after the fourth. What do you do at that point? Man, you just... Mess around the dugout, eating seeds, blowing double bubble, maybe a little big league chew. I'm talking about the fans. Oh, the, the same. There's not mess around. <laughs> I mean, what else do you expect them to do? Another another funnel cake and a tornado or whatever they sell up there beer in the stadium. Oh, I could. I beg to disagree. The party. I'm sure the. I think it was our 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 uh, assistant program director uh, Richie Carney last night on Twitter who said, I, "I wonder what the people up in the party deck think." 
I wonder what how they feel about what's going they on have right no now. No idea. Exactly. They That's have no what he idea. said. I thought that was pretty funny because hey, it's just exciting. It's just exciting. We're up here. You know, we're having a great time. It's a gorgeous, you know, Saturday evening in the Mile High City, and here are the Rockies know. getting pumped twenty five to one. Enough of them. We've given them enough breathing room, enough airtime today. It's just embarrassing. You know, I just I laugh at the notion that oh, this this should change it. No, yeah, no. that should be the last straw. We're different. Why is that? In some regard, because you don't care and never will, admittedly. Yeah. Right? I do. I would love for this to be. So I don't want this to be a, um, I, I don't want negativity to end the conversation because I would absolutely mm. love. Spin the 25 to 1 for me, will you? There's no way. Okay. There's no way. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> I'm so you don't want not, negativity to end that conversation. I, I just so don't where want, we I just don't want it to go be out there that uh, that we are in. I am enjoying seeing them crash and burn. I would love for no them to one, be a hold competitive. On. Hold on. Right? Uh, no, I'm not taking, yeah, but I'm you're not not taking best pleasure in that way. Yeah, okay. right? But I'm not taking that. pleasure in that. That's embarrassing. 25 to 1? I mean, come on. Yeah. Have, sure. a little, have a little self-respect. Have a little self-respect. Have what do, what you, you ask me, what do, what do you even do at 25 to 1? I just start plunking dudes. Just whoosh, little chin music. Hey, hit this. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Did you see? But it's tough when you're dealing with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. The other day, Kyle Freeland put one about four inches inside on the plate, and Otani with the hands right in the bullpen. I couldn't even believe he got that thing out of there to get your hands up. He is a wizard. That guy is is. unbelievable. He should be a bigger story nationally, and I hope he gets moved at the deadline so we can watch him play meaningful baseball in the postseason. Look, when you have a nickname, the Unicorn, right, you're 6'4", you're that strong, right, and you have that – he's beyond a five-tool player. Yeah, he's got like 10 tools. Yeah, he's got – yeah, so multiply – Maybe 12, to be honest. It's pretty pretty special to watch. It is. The NBA draft was also on Thursday night, and there are three new Nuggets. The Nuggets made a deal with the Pacers on Wednesday when they moved back into the first round, acquiring picks 29 and then pick 32 at the beginning of the second round, which gave them 29, 32, and 37 in this year's draft, to which I think that they – let me let me go to you first. How do you think they did here? They they land Julian Strother out of Gonzaga in the first round. They pick up Jalen Pickett from Penn State and then Hunter Tyson from Clemson. What were your takeaways? Okay, so Strother, you saw hit the big shot in the tournament this year, right? Um, so from a uh, clutch moment, from a beyond the arc standpoint, from a size and length standpoint, you like what he brings at least offensively. So there was some excitement about that. Um, another shooter from Clemson, I can't profess to have watched a ton of Clemson basketball, and it's not like they were in many significant games, so didn't see that kid. I know that Zach By profiled the kid from Penn State the other day, talking about how much he liked him and how much the Nuggets could use uh, a, a, another guard to kind of help spread out the duties uh, in that in that in the backcourt. So um, I, I, I like it. But to me, it still speaks to a mentality for the Nuggets that this is going to be a development franchise. It's not necessarily going to be about acquisition. Not that they have the the assets to acquire guys, but this is going to be a development franchise and that these guys could potentially contribute without having to be um, fast-tracked. And that's a luxury. Yeah, I think that's how I feel about it. I like the targets. Julian Strother was their number one target. That's what they said afterwards, and I believe them. Okay. Gonzaga played here in the NCAA tournament. They saw Gonzaga in person, and I think they fell in love with him there. Strother's an interesting prospect because he can handle the ball a little bit, and he could shoot from range really proficiently. 
And that's the one thing, is not only were Pickett, Strother, and Tyson all capable shooters, they were efficient shooters. Even Hunter Tyson at 6'8", who plays power forward, averaged about 15 and 9.6, I believe, his last year in college, this last season, which was actually his COVID year. But he also shot damn near 40% from three. So if you've got that type of a skill set, then you bring in Jalen Pickett, who's 6'4", guard, combo guard, who's bully ball, kind of a... A floor general, I would say. Classic re- Big Ten guard. He reminds me a lot of Bruce Brown. He's got a lot of Bruce Brown in his game, except I think he's actually a bit of a better natural scorer. He had 46 in a game against Siena this year. I think he actually had 46 and 13 in a game against Siena this year, which I don't care if you're playing you know, the New Jersey Institute of Technology and Arts and Sciences. Yeah. <laughs> to have 46 and 13 in a 40-minute college basketball game is tough. That's tough. You don't see that every day. Yeah. I don't know if you heard Zach talk about him. Um, no, I didn't. But, but I heard he, him call it. Well, he called it. He called it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, the movement late allowed for it, right? But, you know, he, he's really high on the player. And, and I and I trust Zach by in terms of basketball opinions and, and research uh, just about as much as anybody on the airwaves. So uh, for them to pick that up, that might be what we look up in three or four years and call a steal. Mm. Well, that'd be nice. It certainly would look great for Calvin Booth. I actually thought they would package a couple of those and move up. But what we're seeing now is with the new collective bargaining agreement that we actually don't know the full details of yet, there is the new second apron. And it's been thrown around a lot. It's a little confusing. But essentially, you can spend over the salary cap in the NBA because it's a soft cap. You just have to pay the luxury tax. Well, now they're trying to limit teams' abilities to continue to spend in a big way in consecutive years without being heavily penalized. They're going to limit draft picks. They're going to impose fines. And those will incrementally continue to grow until you become cap compliant again. And this would affect teams like the Warriors this year and the Clippers who led the NBA in the highest salaries and payrolls for this season. And the Nuggets are staring down the barrel of flirting with that soon-to-be second apron as well, which is 10% more. You know, I believe it's 10% of your salary cap. So the salary cap's about $163 million. If you're spending 179 and change, I think that's the number, 179 and change, then you're you going to ding again. And so Look, you've got to build the back half it. of your roster with younger players. The Rock, they, they got it. What's that? The Crockies got it. Oh, yeah, yeah no, yeah, they got it. I'm yeah, not worried yeah, about yeah, that. They write but, the check. Yeah, but the thing is, is it's not just about money. They'll affect it, it affects draft picks. And the other thing it does is it limits what you can do in the buyout market. So teams that, like, for instance, Russell Westbrook this year was traded to the Utah Jazz, but then he was waived because, obviously, they're not going to keep him. They cut him some money. They buy him out, and then he is free to sign, right? And he signs with the Clippers. Well, under the second apron you are not allowed to sign veterans in the buyout market. So for the Nuggets, they wouldn't have been allowed to go get Reggie Jackson, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm. They would have had to make another trade, a good one this time. (laughs) (laughs) So... You mean, although, although, and I feel the impact and of I Thomas that, Bryan and Reggie Jackson. I make that joke about the deadline, but they actually, I thought, did a really nice job with asset management here at, once the season ended. Calvin Booth making that trade with Oklahoma City during the finals, and now this one with the Pacers. I like it. You're kind of throwing the book at the wall and seeing what sticks is what it feels like to me. Well, uh, but again, you have the luxury to do that right now. Um, I think Bruce Brown is kind of the chess piece in all of this. 
Uh, but one thing, as I'm starting to see some of the movement, and not just from the Nuggets, and I want to run this by you, the future forecasting and how far these things are being projected out. We're talking about picks that were traded in 2029 and 2030. There's a lot of movement that is still seven, eight years away uh, that teams are that are make that are making or involved in these trades. And I'm just wondering, is that a new ph- phenomenon? And why is that the case now? What do you think? Uh, I, I look. I think it's the window trying trying to keep the window open, especially for teams that are contenders, right? Um, and listen, man, most of these guys going to be gone by 2029 20, any damn way. So you know, there's no telling who we're going to be. So I don't have any problem leveraging an asset that is six years out. Of course not. Of course not. That's how you're aggressive and build in your championship window. Because, Kyle, the protected first in 2029 that they shipped out to Oklahoma City, they're they're probably going to have that pick because they might, well, well what is it now? It's 2022. Most likely, they're probably going to be in rebuild mode at that point, They'll right? Be off the top of the mountain. Most likely. I mean, they might be at the tail end of it, man, but I, it'll be right around there. It'll be right around Unless. there, Kyle. One of these picks hits. Sure, sure, of course. And, of course, if you hit the lottery, you never have to, you know, go back to using your food stamps again. Uh, I beg to differ. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Had experience in that part? In oh, that department? man, a lot of people have. But, yeah, no, I, I, I get just leveraging, especially when it's so far out. You of know, course. It'd be different if it was 26. That's a different You don't want to look back with regret saying, what else could I have done to surround Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, you know, with and all these guys with help, this young core with help. So. And extend their careers, right? Yeah. And, and for Calvin Booth, I think that this is another green green check on the resume. It was really funny. We were having a conversation this week. Well, the draft grades came out for the Nuggets, and, and all these experts say the Nuggets got like a C-plus in the draft or like a B-minus. You know how hard it is to do better than a C-plus in a draft grade when you're drafting at 29 and 32? It's not easy. I mean, you can't. How do you get better than that? No you don't really do that. Although I did think at one NBA draft-related note, you're seeing a lot of these big guys who can't shoot just straight up not get drafted at all. And those are the players that in the early 2000s, man, they would have been lottery picks. Like Drew Timmy, right. Oscar Shibwe. Those guys those guys didn't get drafted. Oscar Shibwe is a guy capable of getting you twenty rebounds in a college game. That's a skill. Look at what Charles Barkley did in the NBA. Well, Drew Timmy's thirty years old. So there let's start there. <laughs> Drew Timmy is a ball I would have loved to see him here. I think pairing him with Nikola Jokic and having him learn, he would have been the perfect backup in that regard. If you needed spot minutes, he would have been awesome. Yeah. I, Sign me up. But I don't I actually don't know why they didn't didn't target him long gone are the days of players that play on the box in the paint you know it, that that's just well, it has no you gotta be able to anymore. do that and do another thing that's the thing you can't be a one-trick pony yeah there i had a conversation uh with my cousin who who got drafted to the jazz uh long long time ago but he said if you can shoot no matter your size of course you're always going to have got a, a job for you in the nba they got a job for you always Shoot. Which is why, look, look at guys like Jason Terry, right? That's why guys like that were able Kyle to... Kyle Korver, they, Jason Capono. Man, I mean, we can go down the list of just strictly shooters. But defense is also another part of that, right? I mean, if you can defend, there's going to always be playing time available for you. To a satisfactory level. Yes, but you have to be... But here's the... And I want to take a shot at my guy, Andre Robertson, because that's my guy. But part of the reason that teams didn't want to give him another second chance was because of the lack of shooting ability, even though he was one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. 
So after those injuries, it was nearly impossible for him to kind of even get into the conversation again. It was fun while it lasted, though. Absolutely. What did he go, six years? That, at least, like yeah, that. he had a really nice career. He had a really nice career, made himself some nice money. He's actually back in the G League now. He, he's trying to give it another run. I, he has had some bad luck with it, man, a bunch of injuries. So uh, play as long as you him. can. Once it's gone, it's gone. There's no doubt about that. The Avs made a move yesterday, Uh-oh. and they acquire Ryan Johansson from Nashville for Alex Galchenyuk, who was primarily a minor league player. He was, I think he made the team on a professional tryout, similar to the way Jack Johnson did last year. They kept him in Loveland. They brought him up for some spot minutes here and there, but it just never really panned out for Galchenyuk, who had a lot of time in the NHL before coming to the Avalanche. You know who you know who Ryan Johansson is? You remember this cat? He was the one whose stick went through the face mask of Darcy Kemper in the first round of the playoffs last year and blinded him. That guy. Welcome back. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Colorado, Ryan. Now, it's funny. Do, does he get welcome with open arms? Is is that something that everybody... By who? Anybody. <laughs> well. Well, look, here's the thing. Well, Darcy's gone. Oh, but you mean by the team? Yeah. Yes, he'll get welcome with... He's actually a really good guy. Yeah, no, I actually really like... I think he's a great culture fit. I think he's a great culture fit. And you gave up virtually nothing to get him. My criticism of this deal, and it's... Look, here's how, here's how I'll explain it. This is a player who, at 31 years old, has had one 20-goal season in the last eight years. He's coming off a significant leg injury where he was cut with a skate blade, and I believe the surgery was the, the recovery time was over 12 weeks. We'll see what he's got left. That was on his calf, right? Yeah, that was on his calf. Okay. And they traded him. He was at an $8 million a year number. Nashville's going to retain half of that salary, so the Avs are getting him at about four, which if you look at his analytical numbers, market value is about three and a half for what he brings to the table right now. So all sold pretty good value from a contract perspective. And Kyle, you and I have talked about this at length, that the undraft, that the uh, unrestricted free agent class this year is extremely light. It's one of the most pathetic groups I've seen in a long time. It is a weak class. It's weak. It's virtually the same group of guys, Patrick Kane, Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, all those. It's the same guys that were available at the deadline. That's who's pretty much available now. And none were great options then anyway. So, so, and and that what that's what led you to believe that all the damage had to be done in the spring or the late winter around the trade line. Absolutely, trade line. Yeah, because there just weren't great options on the free agent okay. market. And obviously, you don't draft players and bring them right into your lineup in the NHL. That's a little different. But Chris McFarland yesterday, the general manager of the Avalanche, came out in a statement and said they acquired a top six player, which leads a lot of people to believe that this is their second line center option for this season. I'm not in love with the plan, okay? I believe that you ate up a little cap space that you could have used in a move for a more impact player. However, there's upside here. What, what we're doing is we're playing money ball once again. We're trying to get more. Because of the hard cap, you have restrictions. There's no doubt about that. Because of the fact that it's an unrestricted free agent class that is extremely light, not a lot of great options. But I think you also have to ask yourself where he fits best. What is the ceiling? What is the floor? I think the ceiling is you have a decent second-line player, and that would be he, he would have to regain form to get back to that point. But at, at, at a floor, you probably have a, a third-line player who fits a lot of what Landeskog's skill set was. I think situationally they're going to use him appropriately. Offensive zone face-offs, power play one, he's 
a decent passer. He's a guy who can get in front of the net, and he's good tipping shots. And as we know, that was one of the biggest keys for Landeskog's game. So I think there is a fit, but I do question what he could do five-on-five and generating offense. And the last thing I'll say here is that if we're looking at the most recent example with Nazem Kadri, Kadri was a driver of offense. He created for others. You've got to be able to skate at this tempo and this pace. And in my opinion, Ryan Johansson isn't a second-line center on a cup-winning team. But we will see how it plays out, and we will see what other moves they make because they're certainly not done yet. Two things that you have done just now and in the spring, I noticed you described them as decent. You talked, you said that about Lars Ellers as well. Mm. Yeah, and and to I me, got, I took a lot of heat for that, by the way. Well, I mean, I just watch. That's that's what you do, yeah, yeah. right? I think you have like a heat a reflective got, coating yeah, or something exactly. like that. Um, but yeah, so so I don't know that when we're talking about difference makers on a championship contending team, especially one that is missing their captain. You mm. can continue to add pieces that you describe as decent. Yeah. And again, they don't have, it's not like they can go out and sign some big money free agent because A, he doesn't exist, and B, they don't have the space for that considering how many holes are actually left to fill out. That's a, I, I, I Hell, was going, if you got yourself together, you you could find them in your doggone locker room. I was going back and forth on, on this with some people yesterday. Let, let me let me give you the forwards that are currently under contract with the Colorado Avalanche because people were calling him depth, but I don't know how you can have depth before you actually fill out an entire roster. So I'll push back on that in a big way. You've got McKinnon, Rantanen, and Lekkinen. Bam, there's a top line. Nachushkin, who knows what state he's in when he comes back. Who knows if he can get right, by the way. One, one thing we saw last year is he wasn't the same version of Val that we saw the previous season, because his foot was still bothering him. He was in and out of the lineup. He had complications there. I hope he can get it right this summer because <laughs> there's one thing we know about Val. He better show up to training camp ready to freaking go this year. It just tells you how long that 21-22 season was for them. It was great. And they limped into the doggone. Oh, Val had to be dragged out of there yeah. in a luggage cart after they won the cup. So you got you got a, you got a top line. You got Nachushkin. If you want to add Johansson to the second line, which – I really don't, but they're going to. So you've got two members of a second line. On your third line, you've got Logan O'Connor. And then they also made a very small move for a guy out of Dallas by the name of Frederick Olofsson. So you have an entire third line you have to fill out. And two more spots for all intents and purposes on the fourth line. Although I bet you Ben Myers gets some minutes there to start the season next year. Regardless, Kyle... It's they they got a lot of work to do left before and, and and James and I had a disagreement about this the other day but you know Vegas just because Vegas is has them as their you know favorite to win the cup this this next year doesn't mean they are uh, let's let's just understand that okay Vegas they were the a lot of things Vegas says a lot of things and, and normally they're right but they're also trying to post a line that they know they're going to draw the most action on and they also don't want to be susceptible because the Avs are two years removed from a championship with McKinnon McCarr Ranton and Taves. Look, you're going to draw a lot of action there anyway. All right, when we come back, let's get into the Broncos. i got some great stuff here on Russell I want to talk about. Because I'll tell you what, as somebody who's been a, a skeptic of of this Denver team, I'm starting to become optimistic about the Denver Broncos in 2023, and I'll tell you why next. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Kyle Reese. You 
see that the Cubs and Cardinals are playing a series in London? You see that? No, I didn't. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds fun, though. It is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, it's part of the initiative to grow the game. All these leagues are trying to take it international and grow their games. And so the Cubs and Cardinals, I think it's just yesterday and today, a two-game set, I think, in London. Well, for Cubs baseball. Are, by the way, Cubbies are up 4 nothing after after one. For so. baseball, that's super interesting in Europe in particular, right? Because they don't have to do that in Japan or even Mexico or places like that. But Europe is a little different beast. Well, they went to Mexico City this year. Right, but but it's but the popularity between oh, Mexico and right. Europe. Well, is, Europe doesn't have like baseball leagues. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's just so there's all soccer for those guys. Yeah. yeah. Football. Football. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about just say this, that yeah, I'm yeah, go glad ahead. to have Sid back. Yeah, I know. Right. It's nice. It's yeah. good to see her. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sydney Cora in with us behind the glass. You're not going but to go you, there. Okay. But did you hear what happened with Dante? Yeah. Yeah, I was here when he limped in last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's getting old. Man, these hoop dreams, man. I'm telling That's you. That's what I'm saying. You guys better be careful out here. You're going to mess around blowing tires. Yeah. I felt like I didn't, I didn't even know that he until I talked to him yesterday. yet when I saw him. Yeah. Well, he's got surgery coming up this week. So. Yeah. Our thoughts are with you, pal. Get well soon. How? Yeah, we'll see you back here soon, giving you crap soon enough. I, I can't wait to see Dante so we just rub the Beal trade into him. You know what I mean? We can really give it to him with both barrels. Oh, I with was the there. Bradley Beal trade. Oh, did you, yeah, did you do it for me? Monday. Did you do it for me? Well, not like you would. Ah, okay. Not quite. All right, well, but, um, I'll say I got a little something safe for him. He doesn't him. seem as optimistic either. I got a little something safe for him. God bless him. Hey, I want to talk about Russell Wilson. I was talking a lot this week about the baseline of expectation for improvement for the Broncos this season because I do believe that we all need to raise our expectation and what the very, very floor that we expect from this team. Because last year, the floor was in the basement. Does that make sense? Like last year, it was it was well, everything point? they could do at all, at all points. Okay. Yeah. W- w- maybe Christmas. How about week one in Seattle? Week four against Indianapolis? Mm. Or week five? What was that week? No, it was week, week three. That was Indianapolis three. was particularly disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, they showed squeaking. out in London. They did well in London. Showed they barely out. won. Yeah. Yeah. Squeaking out against the Texans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You started to have some questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, I believe the questions for me started with the Seattle game when it was a, a, a goal line fumble out of shotgun, and then they ran it right back and went in goal line on fourth and one right there, and then they fumbled again. Mess with Melvin Gordon. Let's talk yeah. about him at one point. You yeah. know what happened after that? They yeah. tried to kick a 64-yard field goal in a stadium that the longest ever was 57. So mm. that's what happened after that. To win. All right. So, so, so I expect a lot of this stuff to improve, okay. and that's the process of operations. It's the discipline, the play calling, the communication, the preparation, all of this stuff that kind of comes with the territory. But for Russell Wilson, he's got to get better, man. I mean, he's got to get better in a big way. As a keen football analyst, Kyle, what would you say were Russell Wilson's biggest issues in 2022? Biggest issues. Um, I feel like in watching him, he did not trust what he saw. Right. And so he tried to move the pocket, tried to get outside, which you know, we all know that we knew coming in that that was part of his natural skill set to extend plays, drive the ball downfield, make plays with his legs, et cetera, et cetera. But even still, when you go back and watch that Seattle film, he didn't look skittish in those times. Now, that is 
part of mental preparation. That is part of physical preparation. Throwing lanes has to has to do with some of those things. But he looked skittish at times, and I thought he took a lot of sacks because he didn't trust what he saw. Mm. Or if he didn't trust what he saw, he didn't trust what was coming in over through the helmet, mm-hmm. what was being called, and yeah. uh, he, it just looked like a lack of confidence and things that typically end that way didn't start very well either. Is that because he had a lot of say? Because it, let me let me put it this way: I'm not questioning my parents on what to do, and we're going to go back to this analogy oh again here. Oh boy. I'm not questioning my parents on what to do, but. If I'm in a relationship with a spouse where it's supposed to be 50-50, I may question them. But does that make sense? Like, I'm not questioning someone in a position where I respect their authority. authority. Right? I would question maybe what I view to be my peer or my equal. Although, I would probably question everybody if we're being quite honest. But I would have more respect for the authority. Well... I think that's obvious, and I think that's probably something that's going to be, um, you know, you're going. It's going to look a lot different with Sean Payton at the helm. But here's the problem, right? Because, and, and I want to, I want you to finish. Go ahead. But the reason I say it is because if I'm going to have blind faith, or I'm going to trust someone more, then I'm going to eliminate the need to even make some of those split second decisions or have some of that second guessing go through while I'm trying to process so much information so fast as an NFL quarterback does. It's basically drinking from a fire hose. Bam, you get up to the line of scrimmage, you got 15 seconds to process everything that's happening in front of you to figure out what's going on. Right, but you, your your partner, right, in, right, is supposed to be able to help you in those things. And the problem is if you're going to question a decision that's being phoned in, or you're going to override even in some cases, I'm sure there was a little bit of leeway to do that. I have to have better outcomes than what was what was suggested, right? And I don't think any of that happened either. So it's, now it's the blind leading blind, the blind because both of us are screwing up. Mm. So who's who's to blame at that point? <laughs> if you're going to be an NFL veteran, right, that's called in and make $250, $250 million, I have to be able to erase some of the bad decisions from my rookie head coach, and he didn't do that either. It reminds me of the line from The Office from Pam Halpert. It's, who do you blame, the kid who got in the car and drove or the 30-year-old woman who gave him the keys and said, drive, kid? Yeah. It's the chicken or the egg. Yeah, no doubt. The Broncos were so desperate, they handed Russ the keys willingly, and he came in and made it a home, right? Problem was, start getting noise complaints to too many people over, okay? You got too many people in the house. And now you're not having the Tuesday State of the Unions. Now you don't have the personal quarterback coach. Now you don't have the entourage there. Now he's just one of the guys. And so I would hope that those communication, those trust issues to the point where there is maybe confusion at the line of scrimmage, whether it's between Russell and the play caller, between Russell and his offensive line, between offensive line and receivers trying to get on the same page as far as how we're lining up. A lot of that stuff, and and more than anything, how about using cadences that you practice? Like, there's a lot of that stuff to it as well. Yeah, and and that's that's the tough part to accept because that he would never try to pull on Sean Payton. Ever, he, he would ever, never, ever, ever think to try anything. No, like Sean that. would chew his ass out for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're not above that. And and Nathaniel Hackett should have as well. Right, right. But he was hugging and, him. 
well, when we buddies now, you know what I mean? Like, you got to draw the line. Like, you want a relationship with all of your players and especially your quarterback, but there has to be a point that everyone knows we are not going to cross over this line. And that line, I guarantee, will not be crossed this year. Which is why I believe there's a baseline of expectation for improvement as far as the entire operation being buttoned up. Everybody being on the same page. They're not punting on preparation this year. They're playing in the preseason. They're going to use training camp appropriately. By the time they hit the field in week one, it should already be a significantly improved football team, given the fact that, knock on wood, they'll be healthy. Uh, uh, By the way, last thought on this. Yeah. That was a test, right? Players are going to test you, and it doesn't matter. Players are going to test Sean Payton, but you have to let them know there is the line. And if you have to get rid of them, get rid of them. Albert Hainsworth tested Bill Belichick, and guess what? To the the abyss you go, my brother. There's some people that you'll find out, right? You'll mess around around and find out. out. So so I guarantee somebody's going to test Sean Payton and be the the cautionary tale. Yeah. Kind of like those people in the submarine. R.I.P. Mess around, found out. Stop that. Hey, when we come back, I got a Jerry Judy number that's a little perplexing for me. I, I don't know why he's regressed so much in this area, despite the fact that at the end of the season... We actually saw the best stretch of play in Judy's career. We'll sort out why next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Max Smith and Kyle Reese. I got a Jerry Judy number here sitting in front of me as I was digging through some of the advanced Broncos numbers that really didn't make much sense to me, and I'm trying to parse through it. So you want to give me a hand here, Kyle? Let's do it. I love talking receiver play, by the way. I know you do. I know you do. Jerry Judy in 2021 led the entire National Football League in target separation at 2.45 yards. Target separation, average distance from the defender at the time of arrival of the football, right? Okay. This year, and and let let me just jog your memory. Okay. Number one in the NFL in 2021, 2.49 yards, okay, of separation per target. Means he's getting open. In 2022... 81st, it went down almost an entire yard, 1.45. Something or not something? Um, is it because of who he is and more attention being paid? Is it because of Russell Wilson and defenses respecting the pass more versus Locke and Bridgewater? What is it? Well, I'd have to dig in more, but the things that come to front of mind when we talk about a stat like that, where is he lining up? Mm. Right? Is he lining up inside? Is he lining up outside? Is he drawing the best corner from the opposing team? Is he going to you know, those kind of things? Absolutely. Right? Like, those, but for that to fall from top ten, what'd you say? Number first, one, number one to eighty first, eighty first. Right? Tells me one, it might be a, a nonsense stat. By the way, right? Um, and, and, and two, um, you know, perhaps there was an injury that might have. Uh, played a role in him being able to burst out, create separation, change angles, those kind of things. So, See, I think it's your first explanation. I think it's where you're lining up 
and who's got you? Who's your assignment, right? Yeah. You're going up against better corners. They're not lagging behind. Yeah. And I think when a defense respects a quarterback a little bit more, and despite the fact that Russ had a terrible year, defenses still are going to respect Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson in the NFL last year was number one in deep ball attempts. You got to respect the pass. Number one, Russ was. He had 87, by the way. Yeah. Ask me how accurate he was. Don't worry. We'll get to that later. <laughs> well, and so, okay, here's yeah. another thing about this stat. Okay. Right? Now you've got, that's something for the analytical people on the offensive staff to dig into. Mm. Right? Because now you say, if, okay, if I move this player around, and especially when I have healthy pieces on the outside, thank you for Tim Patrick being able to come back, being a big presence, perhaps play an X receiver type position. Um, now I can move Jerry Judy inside. Best case scenario, he draws a linebacker. Second best best is he draws a safety. Or now he draws a nickel corner, right? Mm-hmm. All of those situations play out in his favor. So this is a schematic deal as much as it is a talent deal. This is a conversation I wanted to get into because I think Judy was drawing better defenders last year. I think the why? defenses, why? Because he was more Everybody, of a focal point. And Tim Patrick was, was hurt. Won. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But now you have all of these pieces back. That number is going to go up because defenses can't afford to shade one guy enough when you have this many weapons. And that's the thing is now I think this year we're actually going to see the Broncos pieces play like weapons again. I do because I think Sean Payton knows how to use those guys. Yeah. They know he knows how to use them appropriately. We talked a little bit earlier in the show about the play calling and the play design last season plaguing this team in a real, real way. Well, guess who has vision of how to implement those things and how to use different players to maximize their skill sets? Sean Payton. He did it for more than 10 years in New Orleans, running one of the NFL's best offenses. I guarantee you, he didn't just forget with a year off. That's, that's not something that just goes out the out the window. Yeah. He will analyze what they have and their strengths and how to use them to best to best suit what this team does well. He is licking his chops, guaranteed. Look, you've got three guys that are 6-1 or better that played for you last year. Tim Patrick is a big, big receiver. I don't know if he catches everything. Next to of him. course I have. He's I was right big, there when he popped his ACL. And you don't want to tackle off him when he gets the ball, right? Cortland's another big receiver. Yeah. So, and, and then think about it. Don't be surprised if you see Marvin Mims, as much as a deep threat as he is, mm. don't be surprised if you see him get the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot so that he can use his quickness as an advantage. Jerry Judy now a viable option in the perimeter screen game. There's a lot of things that you can do with this because you have the guys returning and healthy uh, that you didn't have last year. A lot of versatility. You have a tight end group that it's not only one guy has one skill set. You actually have a couple of different guys that can do some different things. So instead of trying to make them fit our mold, let's see how we can maximize their ability. Yeah, their talent, and that, that I think that's what we'll see this year, and and we'll get into the, a little bit more of this Broncos offense conversation because there's some of these Russell Wilson numbers that once once we go through them, you're gonna be you're, you're gonna be thinking to yourself, oh, if that just changes, if he gets a little bit better here, a little bit better there, which he should naturally by osmosis playing on a better team with a plan with preparation that has prepared to play, naturally a lot of these should get better, but. The game script number for the Broncos last year, and game script is the average point differential. So at any point during a game, what is your point differential between your opponent? And last season, the Broncos game script was 26th in the NFL at minus 3.36, 
which means on average the Broncos are trailing by more than a field goal. What changes when you're trailing by more than a field goal? You throw the ball a lot more. Your approach to almost everything. Yep. So how you do offense, how you put one, how you want to attack the football defensively, it changes almost everything. So if you can just cut down on beating yourself and get back to competency alone, then I think you see more of what we saw at the end of the season with Rosberg in his two games than what you saw the first 15 games of the season. Yeah, and so this is the tough part about having this leap in expectations because is it that big of a leap? I feel like it's kind of just a hop, skip, and a jump back to just being professional. Is it, well, th- there's being professional, and then there's being elite. Okay. Right? Because we're having a really excited conversation about an explosive offense, right? Or About or, the, potential the potential of an, of an explosive offense. But they have to get back to, as you said, being professional, right? right? To staying on the field, converting third downs. Right. Flipping the field, giving your defense an opportunity to play with some longer mm-hmm. fields and, and, and lowering the percentage of them having the possibility of scoring. These are all things that uh, go into offensive football that don't necessarily put up points. Right. But they are not even play- they weren't even playing at that level last year. So, yes, it is a leap from really, really bad football offensively to like you said, being professional again. And then you can talk about elite level offense. That's, yeah, that's like a Chiefs double jump. Doing. That's like you got to yeah. hit the X button twice. We're not going to do yeah. it. We're not going to double ourselves over in the matter of one offseason. That's what the Chiefs are doing. They they have elite level offense. The Eagles have elite level offense. They got to get back to just staying on the field on third down. You want to talk I, more football? I love this, by the way. I expect better. And I think that Broncos country is right to expect better. I think that there's been a lot of heartbroken fans around here, especially the last seven years of not making the playoffs and six six years of losing seasons. Yeah. But to have Sean Payton in the building changes things dramatically. And again, I'm not saying the Broncos are going to go out there, make the playoffs, beat the Chiefs twice this year. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a team that you can watch in the football field with the expectation that they have a chance to win every single time they take the field because there's someone in charge who knows what he's doing, has a dynamic offense, and can get everybody back to, back to baseline again, right? Back, just back to base camp. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't go down the mountain without hitting base camp first. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not getting down. I can roll all the way down, but it's not going to work. Does that make sense, yeah, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. No, there, there's a progression in all of this. One thing I can guarantee is not going to happen. You're not going to see too many games where they're down 27 to nothing in the first half or, or, or the, <laughs> the shellacking that they took on Christmas Day, right? The Christmas That's, Day massacre. Yes. Who could forget? You're, you're not going to see those kind of things. And part of that, again, is management. Mm. So, Some of your reaction, uh, reaction here on the text line coming up, 303-713-1043 on the RamosLaw.com text line. Coming up next, the Avs made a move yesterday, but the Broncos defensive line. I had a conversation with James Merrillat, and I think I, I with his help, unearthed I, with his help, not just James. Like, it was, it was me. Let's just make sure we, we got that on the record. Some ice for your arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. I pat myself on the back. Yeah. I got a scratch back there. I think they're thin at one position. I'll tell you where next.